Today, we're talking with Sandy Phillips, mom of Jesse Gowie. In 2012, Jesse was murdered in the Aurora Theater shooting, but there is so much more to her life. This is their stories. Sandy? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Megan. How are you? I'm good. I'm so thankful that you could be on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for asking. We wanted to talk about your daughter, Jessica. So the first question I wanted to ask you about Jessica is, uh, what was she like as a friend or a family member? Her close friends still, after 10 years, grieve terribly for her. She was kind of the, the glue that kept them together. She was kind of the, the one that made the plans and was enthusiastic about anything, doing anything. I remember when, when uh, St. Patrick's Day, she talked her best friend into going pub hopping and they, they had to wear green and they had to, you know, I mean, held up and is green everything. They got to about three pubs and that was kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> Our big drinkers, but you know, it sounded good and they were very responsible and they took an Uber and they took an Uber Uber home because she was always about safe, you know, you don't drink and drive and making sure that her friends got home safely. But she was kind of the life of the party. She was the planner and the the one that got everybody excited about doing something um, mundane, Um, but they she did it with such enthusiasm that it sounded great. And that's the kind of friend she was. She was the one that if you had a problem, she was going to be there to listen and help you solve it if you needed help. Um, and she was that way even as a, a toddler. I remember in nursery school, her, her teachers would say that when they had a new student come in or new toddler come in, she was always the one hold hand and, be the friend that was just her nature she was just a lovely warm-hearted human being that is so sweet it sounds like she gave like 110 percent like in everything she did always always (laughs) yeah 110 percent and it could be (laughs) zero to 110 and (laughs) 1.2 You know, she was just, if she liked an idea or she thought of something, it was just all the way. And that's why we always knew she was going to be successful in whatever she chose to do, because she she would give all, we just put herself in all the way. That's a good friend to have. That's like, that's a really fun (laughs) person. And it sounds like she was friends with everybody. She could make friends with with any stranger that she, yes. she met. She, she was, and she couldn't understand. I, I had to sit down one time with her. I guess she was about 17, 18 years old, and her heart had gotten broken by some girlfriends, you know, the, the age of mean girls in school. Right. And, uh, and I said, sweetheart, not everybody's going to like you, and that's okay. Oh. You know, just find the people that do, and you'll thrive in that group, you know. So just... Find your your tribe, so to speak. Find your 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 niche, and you'll be fine. And don't worry about the ones that don't like you. You you just go do go do you. 
Yeah. And that's, I remember learning that too. It's hard when you're like kind of like an unconditional love type person to have to like figure out that, that people don't always reciprocate. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's true through your whole life, you know, so you yeah. have to learn it at one point or another. And uh, I think when you're a sensitive person and you care deeply for other people and you're hurt or surprised by a rejection, it hurts deeper than it would if you were, you know, somewhat uncaring or indifferent. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Do you have any funny or important memories of Jessica that you'd like to share? Oh, oh my goodness. So many. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so many. I remember she was, again, she was a toddler and she was in this nursery school where they were teaching them uh, songs for Christmas. And uh, it's a hard age to get everybody to sit down and sing anyway, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. then you get a group of them together. It's just chaos. <laughs> so uh, the night of the performance, they had all the grades, you know, from uh, toddler section all the way up to pre-kinder. Uh, and they all came in, did their little stick, little shtick. And uh, they had the toddlers come up and sit down on the stairs of the auditorium. The teacher got them all quieted down and sitting down and then she motioned for them to stand up and start the song and of course she was singing along with them well they all Aww. stood up but Jesse was the only one that was singing and instead <laughs> of looking at me like you know oh my god I'm the only, am I doing something wrong she was looking around at the rest of them like what the heck is wrong with you guys <laughs> and she just started singing louder because they weren't singing at all <laughs> and show and um, everybody in the audience was laughing because it really was very very cute and very very funny and she sang her heart out and oh. was like well, I did what I was supposed to do you know and but right. she loved it and you oh, she loved it it was really very cute and I had a girlfriend whose little boy was in the grade up she turned to me and she said oh my god you've got your hands full she's a little <laughs> and, and I laughed and I said, yes, she, she is a little star. And I said, the problem is, oof, I said, stars, you know, they can burn out quickly. Mm-hmm. And I've always remembered, remembered having that conversation with her and she remembers it too. And it turned out to be, unfortunately, all too true. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. And do you, do you remember, I know this might be a stretch, but do you remember what song they were singing? No, I don't. It was one of the, you know, little jingle type of thing. Yeah, Maybe of it course. Was it could have been <laughs> Bells or Santa Claus is Coming to Town, one of those kinds of songs. And she just belted it out. You know, she didn't mind having the solo. <laughs> <laughs> Did she continue performing, like, through her life? Yeah, she did. She she went into dance. She had to choose between soccer and ballet, and she chose ballet. Wow. And she followed that really all the way through her life. She had an injury in high school that kept her from performing and got stronger as an adult. She was going back to ballet just for the health aspect of it, not the performing it. And she had done some acting. And she, she really found her niche with sports writing. And wow. she took the, the sports writing and the, the 
the performance into wanting to be an on-air broadcaster with hockey. And she was following that dream and doing extremely well and uh, went to a movie one night and never came home. Jeez, and that sound, that does sound like the like the perfect job for her. Honestly, just from the few stories you've already told, like it's yeah, it sounds she, like she could light up a room. <laughs> she she did, and and even those people. It was interesting because here she was, a woman in uh, ice hockey. Jeez, and, <laughs> and even as an intern, she was having the professional sportscasters that she was interning with asking her about ice hockey because she knew more about the sport than they did. And they even, you know, when they came to her, her memorial service, they even told those stories about, you know, she, she, was, she was magical and she had the ability to connect with people and tell the stories that needed, the behind the scenes stories that she felt were important to be told. They always went to her because she had such good instincts and knowledge. Yeah, and it sounds like she has a, had a lot of empathy too. It sounds like she really understood people. Yeah, she did a lot of big, big heart. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is your absolute favorite memory of Jesse? Oh wow, absolute favorite memory of Jesse. Mm-hmm. There are so many, um, and some of them are just you know that those little moments between mom and daughter that you know. Mm-hmm. that are so precious i remember one time not long before she was killed she dropped us we went to visit her in colorado we were so proud of how well she was doing when she left to to left us off at the airport she kissed me goodbye and said, you know can't wait to see you again and as she got in the car i remember turning to my husband and said boy did we do good we were so proud of her and how she had blossomed into the woman that we had always hoped she would be. One time right before that, she had been out with us and she would come out for a short visit. I remember being, uh, we were getting ready to go somewhere and she came into the master bathroom and she just took me by the hand and turned me around and kissed me on the cheek and said, I love you, mom. And when it's your adult daughter, um, just a precious memory, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm really close with my mom still, so I totally understand. And my mom, I mean, I'm 29. I probably shouldn't (laughs) admit, but um, she still treats me like a a baby sometimes, (laughs) you know? We still, you know, hug. and We had a fight when she was about... Oh, 14, 15 years old. She's stomping up the stairs and she gets to the landing and she turns around and she says, I hate you, like every child does at one time or another. And I remember I looked at her and I said, You know, I'm not overly fond about you right now. <laughs> and the look uh-huh. on her face was just like, ah, ah. You know, <laughs> how could you say that to me? I said, Look, my job is to be your mother, not your best friend. We can yeah. become best friends once you're an adult, but not until then. And it was nice that we had gotten to the point where she would tell people, my mom is my best friend. And mm-hmm. um, she, I knew, I knew how much she loved me. And I know she knew how much I loved her. 
it was not long enough, but I'm really glad that we, we always knew that there was a special bond there and um, that love was the, the glue. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We had, I'm a twin. I have a twin sister and she was a little bit more sassy than me. So she, she was the one who actually said that I hate you. And I was like, ah, yeah. I had yeah. to have the talk to, yeah. <laughs> even though I said nothing, I was also in the conversation of, we don't say that to each other. I was like, uh -huh. no. exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I think my response, cause I was so angry with her at the, at that moment was, well, I'm not overly fond of you either. And I think it was such a shock to her that I would say, you know, hey, I don't have to like you either. And yeah. I love you, but I don't like you right now. And uh, and she never said that again. So <laughs> that's good. So that's it good. worked. It worked well for both of us, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that it, you know, as she grew up, she realized. Ugh, those teen years are just so emotional, <laughs> honestly. Oh, yeah. So I, I feel sorry. I only had one daughter mm -hmm. and I really, I really think of the women who have raised four and five girls and they, you know, boy, they deserve sainthood. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> what were you most proud of about Jessie? Oh, how she had blossomed into her own person. Mm -hmm. When she decided to move to Colorado from, from Texas, she had another year of school to go and had to kind of start over in a way because she had changed majors. But she had one more year to go and um, decided that she was going to go to Colorado to do it. And a lot of her friends had already moved there and were in the sports world. They kind of took her on like a little sister. With and without their help, she just blossomed into this wonderful human being. You know, so that's that's my proudest moment of her. The way and and the way she would always be the person to be willing to help someone. You know, those two characteristics uh, of you know finding her own voice, her own independence, her own way in the world, and then to to have the huge heart that she had for other people and be willing to inconvenience herself to help others. Yeah. Those are really, really admirable, great traits. And it's yes, something you don't always see. So it's, it's great that she, she had those. So she lived in Colorado. Where, where did um, she grow up? She grew up in San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio. Okay. Actually born in Michigan, but her first birthday was spent in San Antonio. I would always tease her that, you know, she was a Yankee and <laughs> she'd laugh. That's and really funny. She had an affinity. For some reason she had an affinity for Michigan and she, she got up there about a year before she died. She went up to visit Michigan and got to go to the big blue and go on the field and throw the football and see the behind wow. the scenes. Yeah. She really had a great, great time. Yeah. It was an exciting time. And, mm -hmm. and uh, she was really happy to to get to do that. Yeah, that's so cool. And uh, what made her choose Colorado for school? Just to, just wanted to see Actually, different place. I think there were a number of reasons. Uh, she had a friend who is a sportscaster in San Antonio. 
she brought over at Christmas time. And when they came to the door, I was kind of like, what is Larry doing with Jesse on Christmas Eve? You know, it was mm-hmm. one of those strange, like, what are you doing at my door kind of thing? They sure. both came in and started chatting. And all of a sudden, saying, you know, I never finished getting my degree. I went to broadcasting school and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I went, okay, I'm being set up. <laughs> I knew and I said, what, what are we talking about here? And yeah. Jesse said, well, I, I, I know I need to get the, my degree. And I said, yes, you do. I said, a woman in broadcasting without a degree, you're not going anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you'll hit that glass ceiling in no time at all. Mm-hmm. And he agreed. And, uh, you know, he's an old, not an older man, but older than Jesse by quite a bit. <laughs> sure. uh, and he was being a mentor to her. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, she's got a lot of talent. She's got a bright future. And they've got a really good school <laughs> in Colorado. And I looked at her and I said, okay, you two have set me up perfectly. But what's, yeah. what's the plan? Mm-hmm. And they had the plan. You know, she had her plan. She said, you know, my friends have already gone there and they're telling me that they will help me find some internships and maybe even a part-time job. And, um, you know, I, I think this is a really good move for me, mom. And I went, okay, but not until after the semester. You've got to get this semester completed and then we'll we'll move you to Colorado. And that's what we did. And it was really hard to let her go yeah. as a mom, you know, it's like, okay, my little birdie's flying far from home. But, you know, like I said to her, I said, you know, with, with, with texting and, and I mean, you're two hours away from me, mm-hmm. so I can hop on a plane anytime and be there in two hours. And, um, unfortunately two hours wasn't fast enough yeah feels like forever I yeah I like when I went to school I was like a three-hour drive and it definitely felt way further when I wanted to see my parents or like I think the first time I realized that I wasn't like home anymore I got strep throat at school and Uh I had I had to walk to the hospital (laughs) it was pre-uber and um that was when I was like I wanted my mom (laughs) I was like I wish my mom was here to drive me I've got a few of those calls in in the there you know um Mm -hmm. And it, it was like, I don't feel good. I need my mommy. And yeah. I said, you're, you're grown up now. You know how to take care of yourself. You know, <laughs> if you need someone, you've got friends. You can call on. Mm-hmm. You know, she she did fine. But yeah, there were a couple of those phone calls and, and where I need my mommy. And the last text message that we had with one another was right before she was killed, just minutes before she was killed. And and she, I was planning on going to to Denver to see her um, the following Tuesday. And uh, she texted me and said, Mom, go back to bed, get some rest. I can't wait to see you. I need my mama. Oh. I wrote back to my baby girl. And that was the last last text we had with each other. So wow. those, those messages and... You know, you hear people say, I don't even remember if I said I love you. Yeah. I didn't say I love you, but she knew it. And saying I need my baby girl was saying I love you. 
and yeah. she knew it and I knew it and I'm so glad that we had that that last message yeah that's like a, a really beautiful like final text exchange it's heartbreaking honestly but there's it's just so clear how much love was there <laughs> that's nice yeah there was and and still is I, we feel her around us all the time she's always here what would you say was Jessie's uh, favorite place to be in the whole wide world? Like if you were looking for her or it was her birthday or something, this is where she would be. The hockey rink. You know, the hockey rink? Be a, a hockey, uh, yeah. And, and in, in, the, in the press box. She, she loved being in the press box. And, you know, we went to a couple of games where she was sitting up in the press box and we were, you know, down on the, in the stadium or whatever the arena and mm -hmm. she waved to us and you know, it, was, uh, it was a nice memory but that's where she was the happiest was covering covering the game uh knowing the players figuring out who was who and what their stories were and what their backstories were she was an exceptional uh she would have made an exceptional broadcaster yeah it sounds like she's really dedicated to it and it Sounds like something she was passionate about, which is like really oh, yeah. cool. Once she found once once she found what she really wanted to do, she just blossomed like a rose. I mean, <laughs> it was just like mm -hmm. this. This is it for me, and uh, she just loved it absolutely. It was her passion. Did she play? I mean, you mentioned she yeah. she did ballet. She played hockey as well. Yes, yeah, played hockey and with the boys. Um, in oh, fact, wow. before her death, she came, she came home from a game with a couple of the guys that she played with, and she was a tiny thing. She was only five foot, five foot four, maybe 110 pounds if she was soaking wet. Right. And yeah. she, she took a picture in the mirror with her blouse pulled up and showing me a bruise <laughs> from under her arm all the way down to her hip. And I was like, you need to quit playing with the guy. You yeah. know, I don't, mind yeah. that you I don't mind that you even play, but play with some girls. <laughs> These guys are too rough on you. They're rough, but, yeah. You know, you know, I gotta I gotta I gotta take the hits just like like the guys do, you know. If I'm gonna be taken seriously, I've gotta play seriously. So um but she had a ball. I mean she just loved it. Wow, she sounds really tough. I'd be scared, honestly. I don't know if I could do it. I'd no, be too for afraid. a tiny little thing like she was, and, and a redhead, and uh, petite, yeah, it's like, you're a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, she's got that fire in her. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Absolutely, she did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So she did she play any other sports or was she just focused on, on she hockey? She was pretty focused just on hockey. Mm -hmm. Her first interview was with a guy that was playing minor league hockey at the time in San Antonio. And she was doing an internship and it was her first on-air interview. In fact, you can see this on YouTube if you Google her, it'll pull it up. But so the the sports guys on the radio station she was interning with tell her it was going to be on the ice so she shows up dressed oh, no. as she would do an interview <laughs> with high heels and of course proceeds no. to fall on the ice 
I so got that on camera. Repeated. <laughs> and it was it was hysterical, but she kept going. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, she called me and she was, she was crying. She yeah. said, you know, nobody's ever going to take me seriously. You know, they're, they're, everybody's going to laugh at me because of this. And she was just very upset. And I said, send me the interview. And she did about half an hour later. And I watched it and it was hysterical. And I said, sweetheart, <laughs> this is going to make you not break you. Mm -hmm. I said, first of all, you showed a sense of humor about it. Second of all, you didn't quit the interview. You just kept going. Yeah. So this, this is going to show all facets of who you really are. It captured you. And sure enough, like three days later, she was hearing from a couple of the professional teams saying, we saw your interview and it was terrible, <laughs> but good on you and keep mm -hmm. going. Um, you know, we'd love to talk with you down the road. So she already had people that were interested in her because of this interview that she didn't know was going to be on the ice and she showed up in high heels. <laughs> That's amazing. And also they should have moved. I don't blame her for that. They should have moved the interview. Like if they weren't, I don't know. I don't know anything about broadcasting, but it seems like a bad idea <laughs> to have them on the ice anyway. I really think um, because this, I know these these people very well. They're still mm -hmm. in my life, and I think they did it absolutely deliberately just to, to <laughs> tease the intern. You know, oh and, man, uh, pull a prank on the intern. I'm, I have no doubt that it was deliberate, but it's still very very funny, and and uh, it's still yeah. great when when I when I watch it, which isn't very often, but when I do watch it it still makes me laugh and makes me cry yeah. at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. I, cause I'm, I, I'm a performer. I do stand up, and sometimes the things where you think you failed are like your biggest successes. Cause people see yep. how you are in adversity, which it sounds like what you're, is what you're saying here. Yep. So. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it makes you, and it also makes you better at what you do. Yeah. And it's a fun story. People aren't talking about the normal interviews. They want to hear like a silly, you know, that's something that sticks with people. So exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that she was able to like recover from that. Cause that's, that's a really funny story. It's a very funny story. Mm -hmm. It's a very funny interview. <laughs> hysterical because she just keeps losing her balance and falling to the ground and you know then she gets back up and she falls again and she'll start the interview and all of a sudden she disappears because she's hit the ice she and just disappears. <laughs> i love that and what would you say was uh like her likes and dislikes did she have like a favorite band or a favorite movie that she'd always watch all the time not a favorite movie. I, I'm sure she probably had one, but I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. um, she loved The Little Mermaid when she was little. She oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, the, the one with Robin Williams where he plays the genie, Aladdin. Come on, let's get out of here. Gotta keep one jump ahead of the bread line, one swing ahead of the sword. I steal only what I can't afford. That's everything. One Aladdin, yeah. But that's when she was little. As far as band, she had very eclectic tastes. She loved bands from the 60s and 70s. You know, wow. like the Beatles, 
loved the Beatles, loved Jackson Brown, loved um, James Taylor. When you're down and trouble and you need a helping hand and nothing, oh, nothing is going right. But then she also liked not a whole lot of rap, but there were a couple of rap songs that she really liked. And she she liked like Three Doors Down, even Green Green Day. Yeah. Those were kind of her bands back in in the in the day. Um, but she had just, and this is I'm already dating myself or dating her because she's been gone almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. The Lumineers had just had mm-hmm. their first mm-hmm. really big. And she loved that. And uh, I still hope someday that our paths will cross and I'll be able to, to tell them how much their music meant to her. I hope that, yeah, I hope that happens for you. That's so, did she ever get to see them in concert or any of these bands? You know, I don't, I don't remember if she got to see them or not, but I know her friends did after she died. And oh my I gosh. actually ran into two of the, the, the two male guys in the band, actually ran into them in Telluride, Colorado, in a little bitty bar um, in Telluride. And just happened to be in the same place at the same time and wow. had a conversation with them, um, which I thought was just how strange, you know, how, how did that happen? You know? Yeah. I don't question those things anymore. I'm kind of like, of course that happened. <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And did they get to mention Jesse at all to them? He, he did bring up that, you know, he had a friend that was, had been killed in the Aurora Theater and that was really fond of their music and, you know, mm-hmm. told, told them a little bit about her. But, you know, it never led to anything more than that. It was mm-hmm. just like a quick conversation over a couple of years. Sure, so, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing, though. That is yeah. serendipitous, I guess is the word. <laughs> yes, and it happens continually now where where when something like that happens or we end up meeting someone like let's say Jackson Brown who has become a friend of ours wow we should never have met him but when we did it was through a bunch of for lack of a better word mistakes things that had gone wrong Mm -hmm. and he ended up calling us and we ended up talking for like two and a half hours on the phone and he did the talking, and I, and he's not a he's not a talker. He's kind of quiet. <laughs> so it was like I cannot believe that this just happened. And now we call him a friend, and uh, he actually uh, surprised me on my birthday. And uh, my husband and and Jackson took me out for my birthday dinner this last year. So when those kinds of things happen, you just kind of go, "How the heck did that?" <laughs> That's and so again, amazing. So, hey, well, that's, of course that just happened. You know, mm-hmm. Life mm-hmm. is weird. It's uh, very strange. And I think, you know, if those things had happened and Jesse was still alive, I I probably wouldn't 
be as appreciative of them. Mm-hmm. But because everything takes on a different meaning now that she's gone, I really cherish those moments that are serendipitous. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. It sounds like she's staying in your life even years That's later. How we feel. Absolutely. That's exactly how we feel. It's like, well, Jesse just made that happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was watching for that one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say we'll be in conversation or, you know, be having a, an evening and something will happen and we'll go, thanks, Jesse, because it's it's coming from her. You know, we just feel that all the time when, when good things happen. It's like, Jesse's taking care of us. Yeah, that's that's so sweet. <laughs> and you sort of talked about this earlier, but if you want to expand on it, you can. What was Jesse like as a child? Oh, geez. <laughs> she, I, I often, and I've, I've said this in interviews before, I said she, she was like a Labrador puppy that doesn't realize it's bigger than it is. And we'll just shake its tail and knock things over or kind of jump all over somebody and lick them and expect them to lick back. Uh, (laughs) Just like this energetic little puppy that just, she didn't know a stranger. She wasn't afraid of anything. She, She just embraced life. From the moment she came into the world, she was just this joy and joyous creature, loving and fun and just impulsive, just like a little puppy. Yeah. (laughs) Full of love and wanted to, to receive the love in return. And yeah, so she was she was my little Labrador little girl. Didn't like to sleep much. You know, she, she quit napping when she was like 15 months old and, wow. and, uh, didn't sleep much her whole life. It's like, there's too much. She used to say, I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Mm. And it's kind of the way she lived her life is like, you know, you got to get all the gusto while you can. And, and she did. Did she have any siblings? She has a brother who was 17 months older and he, he just got married last year. Oh, congrats. That's exciting. Yeah, so it's very nice. He, mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very small wedding because of COVID. Of course. Mm-hmm. We all went to Sedona, Arizona, and they got married on a mountain and almost killed me to get up there. But <laughs> 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 I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, it was coming back down that almost that got a, me. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a beautiful beautiful wedding and she's a lovely young lady happens to be a redhead as well so you know it's, it's like we, we've got another got another beautiful young in our lives that we absolutely adore and love and I know she and Jesse would have gotten along really really well had, had they ever gotten to, to know each other were Jesse and her brother close did they like do because of that age no they were so age that it was constant battle um, <laughs> until they grew up and mm-hmm. you know had the, the time away from each other and then would come back together and in, in fact they would run into each other at different places at the same time and it was like that's strange you know you didn't yeah. know he was there you didn't know you were there and you end up in the same place at the same time but um that happened fairly frequently and um they they were 
they were friends again. They were becoming friends. And of course, losing her so tragically, having her taken so abruptly and, and so violently, um, that was hard on him at first and, yeah. and hard on us as a family. Mm-hmm. Coming, coming through that and getting, I mean, it's always there. It's always there that you find a new norm with one another and you find your boundaries with each other, what you can and cannot say and do or talk about or express mm-hmm. because you're constantly aware of the other person's pain. Yeah, it's it's hard to navigate. And it seems, I don't know, because I've, I've had loss in my family you know, it's been years and, you know, some days are still hard. And that's oh, just, yeah. you know, well, I, I think, think that's, that's what people, I, I think that's what people don't realize about grief mm-hmm. is it doesn't have an expiration date, Mm-mm. you know, and yet you've got the label. The label says grief, loss, tragedy, whatever that label is, but it doesn't have the expiration date of getting past it because it's always going to be a part of who you are. And, you know, when we work with other, other survivors, you know, it's one of the things that we tell them is that, you know, you, you just entered into this and, and here's the good news. It changes over time and you'll be able to talk about your loved one without breaking into tears most of the time. Mm-hmm. But there will still be those times. There will still be that interview. There, there will still be that speech that it's like it was an hour ago. And you're going to crumble and be a ball of emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's the bad news is right. it's always, always there. And it's just right on the periphery of every moment of your day. Mm-hmm. And you just have to give yourself the grace to understand that that's what's going to happen. And the permission to feel it and yeah. not bury it because that's the worst thing you could do is mm-hmm. stuff it down. And mm-hmm. we work with enough survivors that we see those who stuff the pain and stuff the trauma and we see it over and over again. And they're the ones that don't do very well in their lives. And the ones who deal with the trauma and get the help that they need to, to um, begin a new life, a new definition of their new normal, they do better. Um, and you have to find a purpose. And it, it's usually very different than what you did before. In the same vein, I guess, is what we're talking about. Would you have any advice to, to families of victims of, of like, a quick loss or, or something similar. Yes. Um, I'm a, a huge believer in trauma therapy. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And there are so many different trauma therapy uh, ways to go. There's EMDR, there's uh, mindfulness. There, I mean, there, there's an array of ways to find your way through the trauma and build a toolkit so when you are struck by uh, PTSD, that you have the tools to deal with that effectively and mm-hmm. not be reactive, but be proactive. Know when 
have that sense about yourself, to know yourself well enough to know that, okay, this just triggered me. And I need to take a moment and care for myself in a way that will get me to react in a positive way. And um, again, those that we see that, that take that time and learn those lessons and build their toolkit, they do much better in, in, in life and rebuilding a, a positive uh, life for themselves. It sounds a lot more hopeful when you have more control over those situations, yeah. when you have oh. the tools. Yes, I, I, I will tell you that we work with so many people and the ones who have gotten treatment and have built their toolkit, so to speak, they're happier people. Mm -hmm. And the ones who don't, they're still angry all the time. They react to situations that, you know, if they'd only picked up the phone and you know had a, a conversation with someone, it could have been worked through. And instead they destroy relationships and destroy situations that, that didn't have to end that way. Well, hopefully, I hope anyone listening, I hope this is their moment where they like can turn it around if they haven't been if they've been avoiding that trauma, because it, it doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't go away. But like you said, it, it can get easier if, if you do face it. Absolutely. Face, facing it and, and learning positive skill sets. Now, you're still going to be triggered, but yeah. you know the way you react to it will be very different than how you used to. I'll give you an example. There's a, a woman that we work with that's also a survivor of gun violence. For a long time, she was so angry, rightfully so, and she would overreact. And she was, she was in fact, destroying relationships as she went. And people were getting to the point where they didn't want to work with her anymore because she was always so angry and blaming everybody and, you know, reacting to situations. I noticed with her that there was a softening with her, that things were changing, and I. I picked up the phone and I called her and I said, are you in therapy? And she <laughs> said, yes. Why do you ask? I said, because I'm seeing a change in you. Mm -hmm. And she's a totally different person than she was three years ago. Wow. And now she's wonderful to work with. Again. <laughs> That's yeah. great. I her all the time. I said, you, you have done the work and it shows. And I know I know personally how hard that work is. And I'm so proud of you for doing it because it's not easy work. But boy, when you get on the other side of it, it sure is beneficial. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that we are missing from the podcast or just in general that you'd like people to know about Jessie or her life or her legacy? Oh, well, we started this organization, Survivors Empowered, in her honor. Um, and the work that we do is to honor her, but it's grown to be so much more than about her. It's about loss. It's about grief. It's about lending that hand. It's about resources for survivors uh, and not just of mass shootings, just survivors mm -hmm. of gun violence across this country that, that don't know where to turn or don't know what to do to help themselves and to help others. And we always believe that whenever you're doing something to help someone else, 
you're helping yourself much more than than you realize. So, you know, keep giving it away. And that sounds amazing. So for listeners that either want to donate or get involved, or maybe, you know, they are a victim of gun violence and need assistance, how can they find you and Survivors Empowered? SurvivorsEmpowered.org, O-R-G, and we're a 501c3, and they're welcome to, to reach out directly to us through our organization. We're happy to, to phone them back or uh, have them call us or email us either way. But we're always, always here to take a call and to talk because once you have that lifeline to someone else, then everything else becomes just a little bit easier. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds amazing. It's really impressive what you've done and even just how far you've come emotionally. It's like inspiring. And I hope the listeners feel that way, too. Like it's kind of it motivates you to, to work on yourself, I guess. <laughs> it's funny. I, I was talking to I was talking to a Parkland sur- survivor not long ago, and he said to me, he goes, you know, when you first talked to me about self-care, he said, I had no idea what you meant by that. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's my bad. I should have realized that, you know, I wasn't making myself as clear as I needed to. And he said, well, here, here now, you know, three years into it, he said, I understand what you mean now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, taking, I'm taking the time to care for myself. And I said that, you know, this, this issue, unfortunately, is going to be around for a long, long time. Uh, it's not going to be fixed overnight, unfortunately. So there is time to work on this issue. But there's no time like the present to work on yourself. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to get involved, share stories about this person, or just read more general links about them, you can find that at my website, theirstoriespodcast.com. If you want to be a guest on the cast and talk about a loved one who was murdered, please email theirstoriescast at gmail.com.